This is Talk the Talk, and I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we have with us for his monthly time with us, Congressman Jim McGovern. Thank you so much, Representative McGovern, for being with us. We were talking before we went on the air about the uh, LGBTQ Pride March demonstration and celebration that will happen in Northampton this Saturday. You are scheduled to address uh, the, the crowd, and I'm wondering if you would like to share a reflection or two on that event with us. Well, I didn't know I was addressing the crowd, I, uh, but I'm looking. if that's the case, I'm looking forward to it. But I'm certainly going to participate uh, in, in the march. And I think it's important for us uh, to show our support uh, for the LGBTQ community because uh, they are increasingly coming under attack uh, by right-wing forces uh, coming out of Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, we need to be moving toward inclusion and respect and love and uh, the rhetoric coming out of Washington from some of my Republican colleagues is about division and about hate. Um, and um, so I'm looking forward to this celebration uh, and um, I'm looking forward to having a lot of fun. Sorry. Who, who are you wearing? <laughs> who am I wearing? <laughs> I haven't decided yet. <laughs> uh, Congressman McGovern, uh, could you go back to something you just said uh, about your Republican colleagues in Congress? There was a bill in, in Congress recently to ban trans women athletes, right. trans women from participating in athletics, I think in college as well as in high school. What happened to that bill? Well, it passed the House. Um, and if you you know go back and, uh, and uh, read the transcript from the debate or – download C-SPAN, uh, you'll see that it was a debate that was very, very ugly. Um, and it, it, it um, and, and again, I think Republicans see this as a wedge issue to divide people. Um, you know, they, they're trying to make it seem like this is a problem that is impacting every school in America. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest with you, until the Republicans decided to bring this bill up, I don't think I've heard from one person. Um, in my uh, district uh, about this issue. Uh, so, um, look, w we need to be about inclusion and about respect um, for everyone. And, um, you know, and um, if, if there's, if people are uncomfortable with uh, this topic, there are ways to have discussions and to try to come to an understanding versus passing a bill in Congress that if it became law would, you know, say that nobody could ever participate uh, in sports if they were a trans woman. And I, I, just, I, don't, I just don't think that that's right. Is this simply politics being played out as uh, theater, congressional theater, the Republicans using this as a wedge issue? Yeah, yeah. yeah they do. Look, at, I mean, they, they, they're attacking the trans community. Uh, you know, they, they, they've made a big deal about, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, the drag story time sessions that happen all across the country that that, quite frankly, I've been to uh, I've attended uh, one of the sessions in, in, in Worcester. And it's uh, and it's just an incredibly wonderful, beautiful, loving um, experience. And uh, for everybody who's there and from the little kids to the to the older adults. Um, so they're looking you know, they're very good at at at. at at trying to gain political advantage by dividing people. 
by driving wedges, um, you know, into uh, into our communities. And, you know, and and in doing so, what they do is they push misinformation, they push lies um, and they create hostility um, and, quite frankly, hate crimes against the LGBTQ community have increased. Um, and I think there is a correlation between some of the rhetoric coming out of Washington um, and, um, and, you know, and the fact that more and more uh, people are being targeted. And I and look, at we, we I, that's not the country we want. Uh, and I think all of us have an obligation and a duty to try to push back against this stuff. There's enough hate in the world right now. We 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 we, we, we have to we have to reject those who are trying to uh, promote more hate in our community. I appreciate you saying that, Congressman. I'd like to refer back to something you just said, which was an ugly debate that happened in Congress over trans rights and this anti-trans bill. There was a, I thought, really acrimonious and uh, really unseemly debate by some of your Republican colleagues on the Rules Committee that I saw on uh, PBS having to do with legislation that would alter uh, entitlement or eligibility for SNAP benefits, what we used to call food stamps. And right. you you were addressed directly. Can you tell us, tell our listeners who haven't seen that, what that debate was about and how it turned out? And how did it feel to be there? Yeah, well, it, it's, um, it, it's frustrating to be there. And one of the reasons why it's frustrating to be there is because um, – the people who are proposing cuts in programs like SNAP or additional work requirements don't know what the hell they're talking about. I mean, what this proposal would do would throw millions of people off the benefit, and it would add more work requirements uh, to people uh, when there are already are work requirements in place. And I, I, remember I asked the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee and the chairman of the Budget Committee who were pushing this idea, I said, do you know how many... Um, uh, how long the average person who goes on SNAP is on the program? They gave me a blank stare. They had no idea. I said, you know what the average SNAP benefit is for a person? Uh, they had no idea. Uh, it's about $2 a, a meal. That's about it. That's the, that's this benefit that they're trying to get people to jump through even more hoops in order to be eligible for. And look, uh, we have a hunger problem in this country. We have uh, 35 million Americans who don't know where the next meal is going to come from. Uh, SNAP is helpful. It, is, it doesn't solve the problem. Uh, but the idea that if we're going to start denying people benefits because they're not working for whatever reason, I mean, they might not be working because they have uh, you know, an undiagnosed mental health issue. They might not be working because they just graduated out of foster care. Or they might not be working because, you know, it's a mother who's raising three kids and, you know, can't afford child care, whatever. But the fact of the matter is the majority of people on SNAP who are able to work do work. They work. They work. And they're still so poor, they qualify for the benefit. So we ought to be talking about increasing wages for people. We ought to talk about how we, you know, how we make uh, work pay more. Um, those are legitimate topics, but to, to try to, to target this population of vulnerable people is unconscionable. It's just cruel. Um, and, you know, they're saying we need to do this to save money so, 
you know, th- this is the price they want to get to raise the debt ceiling. And my response to them was, well, how about, why don't you cut the Pentagon budget? Why don't we begin there? You mean you can't find a dollar in the military budget that you can you know, find a savings? You, know, you, can't, you can't find $1 of savings in the military budget? I mean, really? I, it's, it, it's, it's unbelievable to me. We're, 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 we're screwing poor people, but we're jacking up the military budget to a level that even Dr. Strangelove would be impressed. I mean, it's just beyond any uh, beyond anything that's rational. So in any event, th- those are some of the debates that we're, we're now having. And, uh, you know, and I, uh, you know, I, I think we have to do some damage control in the short term. My hope is that the next election uh, we get back into power and we can continue to move forward. It does point out how scary it would be to have a Republican president and a Republican majority in the House and Senate and what kind of legislation would pass in an eye blink if the Republicans controlled all those elected levers of power. Again. Yeah. I I mean, that's that's the deal, is that they will double down on the cruel. And um, and again, I, 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 I don't know why they think it's to their political advantage to be mean to people. I mean, it, but, but they do. And I guess there's an audience out there for that. Uh, and we all need to do a better job about talking about um, what it means to be good to people uh, and, um, and how that benefits all of us. Congressman McGovern, you just mentioned the economics, the economic situation that the country is in. Front page article, Today's Republican, about how the, the debt ceiling at least according to your brethren in the Massachusetts uh, delegation, uh, is likely to be resolved uh, without a going over the brink. And I'm wondering whether you share that, that uh, uh, opinion. You've told us before, it's got to be resolved, it will be resolved, it's always been resolved, it has to be resolved. But we're getting pretty close to yeah. going over over the over the brink here, and it's not resolved. So can you give us your thoughts on that, please? Well, I mean, I, I don't know for certain that uh, we can get uh, Republicans to agree to bring up a bill that will allow us to um, increase the debt ceiling. In, in other words, to, to allow us to pay our bills. That's what this is about, paying our bills. Uh, and, um, you know, and I don't know whether Kevin McCarthy has the political space to be able to do anything. I mean, the horrible bill that he brought to the floor, I mean, that, that cut SNAP, that cut veterans' health care, amongst other things, that horrible, horrible bill still uh, uh, resulted in four conservative Republicans, right-wing Republicans, voting no, because it wasn't mean enough for them. And so, you know, if he starts moving um, to be more rational and reasonable, he'll lose even more Republicans. And the dilemma for him is that he agreed for to get their votes for, for speakership that any one of them could call for a motion to vacate the chair. In other words, have him removed as speaker. And he can't lose five votes uh, on that. He won't be speaker anymore. So, you know, he's he's in a, he's in a real dilemma of his own making. Um, and as a result, I'm not sure that he will put the country first over his own 
personal ambition. And so this this is a really dangerous moment. And even you know even if we can you know we might you know extend it for a few months, that still doesn't solve the problem, because the deal is that uh, you know you know the markets will look at that not as a reassurance that we're going to pay our bills that we won't default. It's just like we're just kicking a can down the road a few months, and so th- that may have adverse impacts in and of itself. So look, this is. I've said this before. I mean, what they're what they're doing, this game they're playing with the debt ceiling, is an all-time high in recklessness and stupidity. This is this is not a- appropriate under any circumstance. And you know, when Donald Trump was president, I mean, he racked up bills, uh, all of which I disagree with, including a tax cut for billionaires and big corporations that added two trillion dollars to our debt. But when it came to raise the debt ceiling, we voted to increase the debt ceiling because even though we had disagreed with the bills he accumulated, he accumulated them. And as a country, we have to pay our bills. Congressman McGovern, Dan Torres has something for you. Uh, I just wanted to say this is also we've done this before with the debt ceiling, going back to the Obama administration. Right. I mean, this we've seen how this plays out. And that time they literally took it to the day before. We were going to default, and America's debt rating declined, right? Right. In 2010 yeah. or 2011? Right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. So, so you, you don't have to default to do damage. Getting close to defaulting can result in damage. You know, and then way back when we, uh, you know, during Obama, they, they came up with this cockamamie scheme to um, called sequestration. Uh that resulted in across-the-board cuts in, you know, every program, regardless of whether or not they were merited or not. Uh, I, you know, obviously defense was was uh, was excluded. But I mean, I, I just I, that's the thing that drives me crazy is that, you know, when when it when it comes to tax cuts for rich people, when it comes to increasing the Pentagon's budget, you know, we get everybody saying, oh, this is that's the right thing to do. When it comes to investing in people, to helping improve the quality of life for people. Everybody seems to have a problem with that, and there's a disconnect there. And I, I, I'm just, I'm hoping that, you know, the public sees through all of this. I mean, I, I was budgets, you know, are about our values and what we, and what we care about. And I would like to think that what we care about is helping people rather than just blowing people up. Congressman McGovern, let me uh, conclude our conversation today by reading to you. Two sentences from the letter to the editor in yesterday's Daily Hampshire Gazette from someone I don't know, Kayla Whirlin in Hadley. It says, Dear Representative Jim McGovern, thank you for your calm supporting libraries and opposing the banning of books. At a time when our young people see such horrible examples of leadership, your voice of strength and reason is a model for standing firmly behind your values without denigrating or belittling others. Your choice to read from the life of Rosa Parks on the House floor rather than fling insults shows who you are. I feel fortunate that yours is the voice of representing me in Washington. So I wanted to join that. Thanks, and thank you for that column. I don't know if you want to make a final comment on that. Well, I I guess I would say I appreciate the comment, but think about uh, where we are right now, where um, where me or you or anybody feels that we have to defend books and libraries um, and, you know, and history books in particular. Um, I mean, 
the idea that somehow you know the life of Rosa Parks is controversial uh, because somebody doesn't like, for example, the governor of Florida doesn't like the fact that it says she was asked to move to the back of the bus because she was a black woman. They don't. They, they would. They, they would like the word "black woman" deleted uh, and just say she was asked to move to the back of the bus and she said no. I mean, really? I mean, have we sunk that low? Uh, and that we that that's what our leaders are are, are demanding. Uh, I, I don't know. Hey, but I but I really appreciate that wonderful letter and thank you for reading it. But uh, uh, you know, I, I was I, I announced uh, two million dollars. Uh, for the Jones Library in Amherst yesterday, and uh, I said it's nice to be in a place where people read books and not ban them. So uh, uh, it was a great event, and you know, uh, it, it just reminds us just how we have to be vigilant because there are people out there who want to censor things and want to ban things and want to alter our history, and we have to push back against that. We leave it there. This has been our monthly time with Congressman Jim McGovern. Thank you so much, Congressman. Really appreciate your time. All the, all the best. Be safe. Bye. It's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. It was one of those big historic houses in Conway, built in the 1800s, a real beauty, though a bit of a challenge to insure. Steve bought it for about 700000 The insurance company figured the replacement cost to be about $5 million, a bit of a gap there. But there's a specialty insurance company we work with from time to time at Whalen Insurance, and soon enough, we were able to get the house insured. When a home buyer has a tough situation with insurance, like Steve did with the house in Conway, their real estate lawyer usually sends them to us, Whalen Insurance. We'd like to insure your house, too, even if it isn't as challenging. We'll get you every discount available, and more importantly, if you ever need help or have a claim, you won't be calling a 1-800 number and entering your policy on the dial pad because at Whalen Insurance, we answer the phone. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Mafre Insurance. Call for a quote. 586-1000. Your expectations. What are your expectations for your new home addition? Construct Associates in Northampton can show families just like yours a world of possibilities. From antique to ultra-modern, kitchen and bath, additions, design and construction, residential and commercial, renovation and restoration. Construct Associates in Northampton and your imagination. Expanded and released by serious craftsmen doing quality work. Visit their website right now at constructassociates.com. Where Were These Books Banned? Gender Queer by Maya Kobabe. All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. Flamer by Mike Corrado. Not at Broadside. Broadside Bookshop, Northampton's long-standing independent bookstore on Main Street in Northampton since 1974. As Northampton's Pride Parade goes by Broadside this Saturday, Broadside will indeed feel enormous pride in being part of this community. Keep in mind, you can order any book on the Broadside website and have it delivered to your door or pick it up at the store. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. 
Later in the program for our Have Faith segment, we will be speaking at some length with the Reverend Andrea Vazian. She is with us in the studio. Give us a preview. I want to hear a bit about the history of the Pride March because that's what we're going to be talking about with you with you at somewhat greater length later on in the show. Andrea? I'm delighted to be here, and I'm delighted that we'll be talking about the march, which is happening again this Saturday at 11 a.m., so that's exciting. And you've participated in this march many times? Since 1984, and it began in 1982. And you were the person, you were the reverend, the pastor, who made the Haydenville Church a dramatic institution in the Valley because of its open and affirming, uh, what's the word, open and affirming uh, presence uh, and, and, and policies. You want to tell us about that for just a minute? The Haydenville Congregational Church was when I took it a tiny little congregation of just 13 people, and we immediately became, the 13 of us and me, an open and affirming congregation, which means we are open to the LGBTQ community and affirming of who they are and their lifestyle. And because of our wildly open and affirming policy and services, we grew rapidly. And when I left in 2017, it was a strong and a vibrant and a growing church. One of the things that happened is when the LGBTQ community learned that there was, and there are others in other churches in the Valley, but that we were a very safe place in an affirming congregation to welcome the LGBTQ community, we really grew by leaps and bounds. And one of the things that I did was I made it a policy to rebaptize members of the trans community. And that was somewhat, some colleagues said, in violation of my ordination vows, I'm ordained in the United Church of Christ. And in the UCC, you baptize people once, and that is forever. But Trans people came to me and said that they would like to be rebaptized with their new identity and their new name. And I prayed on it and decided that was something that I would do and I would justify to my colleagues. And in fact, we did rebaptisms of members of the trans community, burning their old name, baptizing them with their new name and identity, and welcoming what they called their rebirth. We are speaking with the Reverend Andrea Vazian, who is a member of the pastoral team, leadership team at the Alden Baptist Church in Springfield. We'll be speaking with her later on in more detail later on in the show. We'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. East Hampton City Councilor Owen Zaret, in a joint effort with leading local Jewish organizations and the Anti-Defamation League, proposed a resolution to condemn anti-Semitism in the city. The resolution was passed last night during the East Hampton City Council meeting to reject and condemn anti-Semitism in all forms. The new Veterans Home in Holyoke will be receiving millions of dollars from the federal government. State Senator John Vellis announced the huge federal grant to be used for the construction of a new facility. The Executive Office of Veterans Services was awarded $164 million in federal grants earlier this week for the reconstruction of the Holyoke Veterans Home, previously called the Holyoke Soldiers Home, courtesy of the Department of Veterans Affairs State Home Construction Grant Program. It's the first of two payments totaling $263.5 million. It will be a fresh start for the Holyoke Veterans Home following the deadly COVID-19 outbreak in 2020. Joan Holliday, WHMP News. 
The town of Waitley is considering moving to one zip code for all residents and town addresses. Currently, the town uses three different zip codes and post offices that deliver mail and has resulted in some confusion for deliveries. The town would move to use 01093 for all residents, and those who do not currently use that zip code would have to change their addresses. There is an open survey through the town website for residents to voice their opinion on the potential change. Mostly cloudy with scattered sprinkles today, maybe a few patches of drizzle. Cool breeze from the north and a high of 52 to 56. Evening temperatures will be in the upper 40s to low 50s under variable clouds, an overnight low of 36 to 42. Sun-cloud combination here tomorrow. Chance for a few sprinkles, otherwise dry and a high of 58 to 62. Upper 60s and sunshine on Saturday. 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rechivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. La Reserva Federal reforzó su lucha contra la alta inflación el miércoles al elevar su tasa de interés clave en un cuarto de punto al nivel más alto en 16 años. Pero la Fed también señaló que ahora puede detener su racha de 10 aumentos de tasas que han hecho que los préstamos para consumidores y empresas sean cada vez más caros. En un comunicado posterior a su última reunión de política, la Fed eliminó una oración de su declaración anterior que decía que podrían ser necesarios algunos aumentos adicionales de tasas. Los Plazó con un lenguaje que decía que ahora sopesará una variedad de factores para determinar la medida en la que podrían ser necesarios futuros aumentos. El presidente Jerome Powell dijo en una conferencia de prensa que la Fed aún tiene que decidir si suspenderá sus alzas de tasas, pero señaló que el cambio en el lenguaje de la declaración confirma al menos esa posibilidad. Los aumentos de tasas de la Fed desde marzo de 2022 han duplicado con creces las tasas hipotecarias, elevado los costos de los préstamos para automóviles, préstamos de tarjetas de crédito y préstamos comerciales y aumentado el riesgo de una recesión. El último movimiento de la Fed que elevó su tasa de referencia a aproximadamente el 5.1% podría aumentar aún más los costos de endeudamiento. En otras informaciones, Holyoke Community College celebró el miércoles una ceremonia de jubilación que sirvió de homenaje al legado y logros de la presidenta Cristina Royal, quien anunció que se retira al final de este año escolar. La celebración contó con la presencia de estudiantes, facultad, personal, exalumnos, oficiales de la institución educativa y oficiales electos, quienes elogiaron y reconocieron los múltiples logros de la doctora Cristina Royal como la cuarta presidenta de Holyoke Community College y la primera mujer birracional en presidir la institución. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We welcome to the show Michael Lind, who is the best-selling author of The New Class War. Saving Democracy from the Managerial Elite. He has taught at Harvard and John Hopkins and has been editor or contributing editor for The New Yorker and Harper's, among other publications. He is with us today because we want you to know about his new book titled Hell to Pay, How the Suppression of Wages is Destroying America. Michael Lynn, thank you for being with us and thank you for your book, How the Suppression of Wages is Destroying America. You have a lot to say about the uh, demise, eh, a little strong, of labor unions uh, and how America's corporate elite suppress wages. For our listeners who have not yet read your book, give us this overview, if you would, please. 
Well, your listeners may have been told this story that uh, the, the wages reflect the skills of workers and the reason why home health aides and restaurant cooks make low wages is they're not skilled enough. And, and maybe in the case of manufacturing workers, these are old industries. So if they want to have good jobs, they should go to college uh, and they should study science, technology, engineering, and math. And maybe they should even move to the Bay Area and learn to code or work on futuristic technologies like solar and wind power. And this is just all nonsense. Uh, the, the U.S. economy, and we know this from the Bureau of Labor Statistics of the government, uh, is mostly creating low-wage jobs that do not require any education beyond high school except on the job training. So, for example, home health aides and personal care aides and restaurant workers, the number of new jobs that are being created right now, 2023 and the next 10 years, are three times more jobs than in all software developers combined. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a home health aide or a fast food worker. The reason the uh, wages are low and the benefits are bad in those jobs has to do with the lack of worker power. Uh, And that's what hell to pay is about. Uh, Wealth and wages follow power and the power of workers, both individually and in organized forms such as unions, has been uh, pretty much destroyed in the last 50 years in the United States. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. The public opinion polls show that labor unions are held in a higher, higher esteem and regard today than they have been in decades. And yet, there does not seem to be a resurgence in private sector unionization. Can you talk to that, please? Well, yes, there, there have been... Two factors. One is the coordinated assault by employer lobbies that make it very difficult to unionize. But another part of the problem in the U.S., where unionization in the private sector has collapsed from about a third in the 1950s to 6% and falling today, is the uh, 1938 uh, 35 National Labor Relations Act system that still governs most workers. Uh, just had a fatal flaw. And the fatal flaw was that you have to organize individual businesses or in some cases like Amazon, individual warehouses, one warehouse after another. And that just makes it all but impossible to organize or, or to maintain union membership against employer hostility. So in hell to pay, I argue that in many occupations, the U.S. should follow examples in other countries of multi-employer bargaining, where all of the employers in in an occupation or industry negotiate with representatives of all of the workers. And that system has been proven abroad to be one where you have uh, better uh, wages and better benefits for all of the workers in an industry without disadvantaging any particular firm against its rivals. Do you take any hope in the unionization efforts that we have read so much about recently? It's Starbucks, Whole Foods, for example. You've, you've mentioned Amazon uh, with mixed results. Uh, not your comment, but Amazon, I think the organizing efforts have had mixed results. Uh, or are these simply outliers? Sadly, they're outliers. They're, they're very inspiring, and I admire the organizers. 
But, you know, in in other countries, you could organize Amazon's all of their warehouses at once, or you could organize all of Starbucks coffee shops at once. In the United States, under our existing law inherited from the 1930s, you have to organize each Starbucks coffee shop one by one by one, each Amazon warehouse. And no matter how heroic the workers are, this is just all but impossible to do. So I don't, I don't think you can restore the power of organized labor in the private sector without sectoral bargaining of some kind. And another alternative, uh, which has been used in New York for fast food workers, is a, the governor will appoint a wage board, a commission with representatives of labor and business, and they will negotiate standards that apply to all of the firms in that business. But you really have to do this at the level of the entire industry. You can't organize one company or one warehouse at a time. Which means you can't organize. As writ large, you can organize. You can get a... a, In in our system, yes. Now, we have a, a, a minority of American workers, railroad, transit, and uh, airline workers are covered by the Railway Labor Act. It's a completely different system that was created in 1926 under Calvin Coolidge before Roosevelt and the New Deal. Now, the Railway Labor Act, which has been in the news recently as uh, Congress intervened uh, and will be in the news again with uh, airline strikes, uh, allows multi-employer bargaining. So there are pros and cons to it. Uh, but it's, it's a much more flexible system, and it allows all of the businesses and all of the workers uh, in a single sector to negotiate at the same time. We're speaking with Michael Lind. His new book is Hell to Pay, How the Suppression of Wages is Destroying America. The book literally just published. Publication date was yesterday. Michael Lind, I keep looking for uh, bright spots. I'm not sure we're going to find them, but I would like your reaction to the reality that we have had a labor shortage in many areas of the economy recently, and that that shortage, I would have thought, uh, based on my uh, undergraduate economics training, such as it was, that that labor shortage would lead to higher wages in the interest, of course, of working class people. What do you say about that? Is that a a potential bright spot here for wages for working Americans. Yes, in, in fact, uh, we, we've seen it twice. The first was at the end of the Great Recession, uh, labor shortages allowed workers to demand higher wages. Uh, and then that was cut short by the COVID pandemic. But then as the economy reopened, uh, then uh, workers had bargaining power again. Uh, so it does show you that if you have tight labor markets, and in that case it was demand outrunning supply of labor, then workers do have bargaining power. However, the Federal Reserve uh, is, it appears that it's going to raise interest rates deliberately to cool the economy and throw millions of workers out of work so that it will destroy their bargaining power. Uh, this is how the Federal Reserve has typically dealt with inflation, uh, by uh, creating a vast pool of unemployed workers who are willing to take uh, jobs at low wages. And then the workers who remain employed are so terrified of losing their jobs uh, that they're willing to take wage cuts. Uh, so 
we, there are methods of dealing with inflation, and this is mainly supply-side inflation. It isn't, it's not being caused by excessive worker demands in most cases. It comes from shortages of imports from China and elsewhere. Uh, but I'm afraid that the Federal Reserve is going to resort to the old method of creating mass unemployment in order to uh, moderate workers' ability to demand higher wages. Do you see this inflationary situation that we face as being one that ends up with workers losing or with workers because there is a shortage of of, of potential employees actually having wages well, that will out, out, outpace? Because uh, inflation uh, and prices have outpaced wage gains. So even though some workers are getting paid more, uh, the cost of gasoline and food and so on is rising faster. Uh, but this is where immigration comes in. Uh, the United States ought to you know, have a generous immigration policy with uh, respect to refugees, uh, skilled workers, and others. Uh, but when employers say they can't find anybody in the United States to do a job, and therefore they demand guest workers or, or more legal immigrants, you have to ask yourself, have they tried raising wages? Uh, because if they're saying they're facing a labor shortage, but they haven't raised wages to attract American workers, including uh, immigrant workers who are already here, uh, then, then they're lying. Uh, what they really are saying is they can't find anybody to do the job for the wage they want to pay. Now, the way capitalism is supposed to work is that supply and demand uh, lead to prices. So if there's a real labor shortage, and we know this from the fracking industry when there was a shortage of welders a few years back, welders were making incredibly good money because they, the oil companies had to pay them. But if you can import uh, foreign workers, particularly guest workers who lack bargaining rights uh, and lack many economic freedoms to do the job instead, then you don't have to raise wages at all. I'd like to spend our last few minutes, if we might, on the chapter of your book. Again, we're speaking with Michael Lind. His new book is Hell to Pay, How the Suppression of Wages is Destroying America. The chapter titled Global Global Labor Arbitrage to How Employers Exploit Immigrants to Weaken Worker Power. Take us on a deeper dive into that, if you would, please. Yes, uh, traditionally, organized labor has favored more restrictive immigration policies because they want a seller's market in labor. Uh, employers always want uh, as many workers competing for as few jobs as possible. That, that allows them to keep wages down. And this is just built into the system. Uh, so uh, nowadays, uh, calls for restricting unskilled immigration are considered right-wing they used to be liberal. Uh, one, of the, one of the great accomplishments of the, uh, the great society was ending the Bracero program. It was a very exploitative low-wage guest worker program uh, for Mexican, not immigrants, but guest workers. Uh, and organized labor and liberals shut that down. Uh, uh, the commissions on immigration appointed by President Carter and uh, uh, President Clinton, the latter headed by Barbara Jordan, great African-American congresswoman from Texas, uh, called for 
<clears throat> drastic reductions in the amount of unskilled labor since our job is uh, since our economy is creating so many jobs for unskilled workers. So you really can't have an effective system of raising wages at the bottom uh, if you allow uh, employers to reach out to a global labor market uh, and and to keep wages from rising. And this this has nothing to do with being anti-immigration in general. It's just that immigration does have labor market effects. And so you come out saying that the United States should or should not increase the number of immigrants, uh, persons who are allowed to come to the country. From a, What's your perspective as a labor person? Uh, well, we already have a large number of unskilled immigrants who come as relatives of U.S. citizens who are already here. And that should continue. And it's, it's a fairly large number. Uh, and we can benefit uh, from more skilled uh, professionals and experts from other countries, and we should be generous towards uh, refugees and asylees. Uh, but and then there's room for some unskilled immigrants. Uh, but uh, at, at at a time when we can't provide enough uh, good jobs for Americans with high school educations, uh, it just doesn't make any sense uh, uh, to be having high levels of workers with low educational credentials. They yeah, I got compete with each other, and neither will benefit. Got to say, I really disagree with you about that. Um, I, I, and I think that Why? because I think that many of the people you're describing actually are highly skilled. Agricultural work is not unskilled. It's a highly skilled job. And the jobs that Americans, one of the reasons that we have labor shortages is because people won't take the jobs. And there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of jobs that are not filled because people here won't take them. Uh, immigrants would fulfill those and fill those jobs. But, uh, but by, by that logic, you should not raise the wages of farm workers. No, by that logic, you should raise, raise the wages of farm workers, actually. Listen, we can but continue. That will, lead, that will lead to more automation. Well, we can continue this conversation. I really appreciate it. I'm enjoying it. Um, yeah, Michael Lynn is uh, the author of Hell to Pay, How the Suppression of Wages is Destroying America. We will continue this conversation on another show. Michael Lynn, thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. You love your car. We all do. It's part of our DNA. If your vehicle gets into an accident, the people to turn to are the collision experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. Fort Hill lets you leave your concerns at the door. They'll fix your vehicle to better than factory standards and deal with your insurance company from start to finish. Fort Hill is locally owned and operated. They're part of the community, and they guarantee the work they do every time. Trust Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9, Amherst, and online at forthillcs.com. 
What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. What's new at the Waitley Inn? Everything. The Waitley Inn has undergone a stunning transformation with a fresh new look inside and a beautiful wraparound porch with great views and expanded parking area. The only thing that hasn't changed is the menu, offering classic New England fare the Waitley Inn has become famous for. The Waitley Inn is open Wednesday through Saturday starting at 4 p.m. and Sunday from 1 to 7. Pickup is also available with easy online ordering. Visit WaitleyInn.com. Eat greatly at the Waitley. Push, push, come on, one more. Let's go, go, go. Is this your idea of personal training? If so, you've got it all wrong. Or perhaps we've got it all right at Fitness Together, where we meet you where you are to get you where you want to be. Fitness Together trainers help you reach your goal at any fitness level, even despite ailments and physical limitations. So don't let a misconception keep you from having the energy to do what you love. Learn how you can get it together at Fitness Together Amherst or Northampton. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And this is our regular Thursday segment, Have Faith. Our special guest, the Reverend Andrea Avazian. Reverend Avazian, we were talking, we previewed this segment earlier in the show. We are talking about the Pride Parade that will occur this Saturday in Northampton. I know you have been a participant for years, I think, since the very beginning. I do remember being out on the streets with you with babies and strollers. <laughs> that was fun. It was a long time ago, to be sure. I would l- appreciate your perspective on how the Pride Parade has changed. Of course, this being the revival of it after a COVID-induced hiatus. Reverend Andrew Vazian, talk to us. I'm very happy to talk about the Pride Parade, and it's coming up this weekend, 11 o'clock on Saturday, and I'm delighted to reflect on it with you. I want to start by saying that I'm a heterosexual woman, so that I am not a spokesperson for the march. I listen deeply to members of the targeted community. I'm a supporter. I can reflect with you, but I am not a spokesperson for this event. And I've been talking to people about this march. Um, I was talking to former city councilor Bill Dwight, and he said, you know, Andrea, there's a tension about the march. And I said, I know, I'm hearing it. And he said, it's changed over time, and the changes have been organic, and the changes have been significant. And they have been. And it's interesting, because you just said Saturday is the Pride Parade. Actually, it's gone from being a gay pride march to sort of a Northampton parade, It has really changed in that way. And I was talking to my younger sister who lives locally. She's a lesbian. Let me interrupt for one second. Just note that the organization, which used to be called Northampton Pride, has now expanded the name, certainly, and uh, they hope the reach, of course, by calling it Hampshire Pride. Right. And I think the difference between a Pride March and a Northampton Parade, which I think it really actually has become, is a significant difference. And I'll explain why. I was speaking with my younger sister who lives locally and is a lesbian and has been married to her wife for decades. 
And I was asking her about Saturday, and I said, will you march? And she said, no, I'll be standing on the sidelines. She said, I find the number of allies and heterosexuals overwhelming. She said that she felt it had become commercialized and it had become that there were sponsors and so many allies, which is both good, but also for her a little worrisome. She said, you know, there's 364 other days of the year, and I want to know what our heterosexual allies are doing the rest of the year to promote LGBTQ empowerment, to promote our civil rights and our civil liberties and to keep us safe. And then I was talking to Senator Joe Comerford, who identifies her words as member a member of a queer family, her words. And she said, you know, I appreciate our allies. We've built community. She said it's our allies in the march and otherwise who have helped to make Massachusetts a state where there really is no or little public support for anti-gay sentiment, anti-lesbian, anti-trans discrimination. And she said, I appreciate that we march in enormous numbers. There's an internal, some internal tension here, and I think both can be true, that the march is no longer as risky. It's no longer as daring. There are a lot of heterosexual people who march. And there are a lot of families, and it's a family event. It has been. It has become a family event, and some would say it's become diluted, and some would say it's become strengthened. And I think, you know, contradictory sentiments can both be true. Well, it's become more of a celebration and less of a protest, and I think that's deserved in Massachusetts because of what has occurred both in the law and in society here over the past decades. And I would totally agree with that, but anti-gay, anti-lesbian, and anti-trans discrimination are not gone. And the early days of the protest and some militant action and some radical sense that this was such a statement and so risky and daring to march, that has changed. And but, yes, th- but thank God that public school teachers don't have to wear brown bags over their heads, so, which they did at the beginning, so they couldn't be identified because they were identified, they might be identified as gay, and lose their jobs because there was no job protection at the time. And I say thank God, too. And when I say thank God, I mean something very <laughs> powerfully and very true and very strong. Yes, so, Reverend. of course, as an ally who's marched since 84, I say thank God. I'm simply saying, Bill and Buzz, that there is some tension, that it has changed over time, and the change is both a good thing and for some people there's a sense, there is some sense of loss. I'm simply reflecting what I've been hearing. Again, I'm not a member of the targeted community. And I do think we need to hold that tension. I think both can be true. Yes, it's a family event, thank goodness. And it also has sponsors and there's some commercialization and the change just needs to be noted. Which you have done admirably, I think. Will you be at the march this weekend, this Saturday? I will be. Um, Joe's asked me to march with her. I always wear my clerical collar. Joe, I think Joe being Senator Joe Comerford. being Senator Joe Comerford, <laughs> my dear friend, who I married to her, to her wife. So uh, Senator Comerford and her wife, Anne, have asked me to march with them, which I will do happily. Um, and my sister knows that. I wear my clerical collar and I par- partially march because I'm in my collar to say there is lots of religious oppression around LGBTQ civil rights and civil liberties and a non 
um, endorsing of the trans community and the LGBTQ community. And there are also a lot of pastors like me, many, 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 many of us who are gay affirming, wildly, profoundly, completely gay affirming. So I wear my collar. Are you moved that the Pride Parade is back after this COVID-induced hiatus? Is this a positive thing in your life? I think this is a very positive thing. I think it will be big. I think it will be wonderfully rambunctious. I think it will be celebratory, your word, which is accurate. I think people are eager to meet again. This time we're marching into town, which I think is going to be great fun. We're starting at the fairgrounds. We're marching into town. And I say we because I think there will be because I will be there. I think it will be... And I'll be there. And, you'll be there. And WHMP will be there. The Northampton Radio Group will be there for sure. And I think it will be celebratory, and it's supposed to be a beautiful day, and I think it will be a beautiful event. And on those beautiful words, let's leave it. <laughs> We've been speaking on this Have Faith segment with the Reverend Andrea Vazian, part of the leadership team at Alden Baptist Church in Springfield. Thank you so much, Reverend. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, both of you, all that of you. That was beautiful. Not a trace, a doubt in my mind. I'm in love. I'm a believer. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult looking to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam and preparing for college. To find out about our free classes in Franklin and Hampshire counties, check us out online at literacyproject.org, or call us in Northampton at 413-584-6755. Hi, this is Tom from 4-H. What will the next 100 years look like for today's youth? According to the 4-H members of Hampshire counties, there are no limits. Youth, supported by adult 4-H club leaders, are being prepared to take on any role they can imagine. Astronaut, director, hockey player, surgeon, engineer, and CEO. These are just some of the roles that a recent survey shows that our 4-Hers not only dream about, but are preparing for. Join the 4-H team. Call me, Tom, at 413 413- WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10 o'clock.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. Russia is accusing the U.S. of masterminding yesterday's alleged drone attack on the Kremlin, supposedly carried out by Ukraine in an attempt to assassinate Vladimir Putin. Biden administration officials vehemently deny it. Former U.S. ambassador to Russia, John Sullivan, tells CBS Mornings. It's equally as likely, maybe even more so in some people's opinion, this is a false flag accusation that the Russian government has done this to try to rally public opinion. Russian TV showed Putin working at the Kremlin today. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky went before the International Criminal Court in the Netherlands. We all want to see different Vladimir here in The Hague, the one who deserves to be sentenced 
for these criminal actions. The suspect accused of shooting a woman to death in the waiting room of a medical office in Atlanta yesterday has been charged with murder. Correspondent Jeff Pegues. Though police would not comment on the suspect's potential motive, a law enforcement source told us that his mother, who accompanied her son to the appointment, said that he was on medication for mental health issues. He was taken into custody at a condo complex in suburban Cobb County after an hours-long manhunt. Protesters rallied at Florida's state capitol against a series of bills sponsored by conservative lawmakers. They could help the governor, who is expected to run for the Republican presidential nomination. Correspondent Ed O'Keefe is in Tallahassee. Florida's Republican state legislature is putting the finishing touches on dozens of bills all headed to the desk of Governor Ron DeSantis. On Wednesday, it was an expansion of the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill that now restricts any instruction about sexual orientation or gender identity up to eighth grade. State Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo defended the focus on an issue critics say unfairly targets gay and transgender students. That's not what it is. It's protecting our children from harmful materials in our schools. Have trouble remembering all your passwords? Google's trying to make it easier. Here's CBS's Jen Clark. The company is starting to offer pass keys where you can use a pin, your fingerprint, or a face scan instead of a password. And you'll be able to use the pass key on different devices, including iPhones, Macs, Windows, and of course, Androids. Hear the one about the star that swallowed a planet? Researchers say they've caught one in the act. They say an aging star as much as 15,000 light years away got so big it engulfed a planet the size of Jupiter. The study in the journal Nature says it could be a clue to the eventual fate of Earth, which is expected to be eaten by the sun billions of years from now. This is CBS News. Need to hire quality candidates fast? You need Indeed. Their powerful hiring platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates all in one place. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. I'm Howard Mackler, founder of Innovation Refunds. You've heard me talking about the payroll tax refund for months. If you own a business, even if you've asked your CPA about this, you owe it to yourself to take another look. We provide a licensed and insured tax attorney who evaluates your company at my expense to determine eligibility. Businesses of all types can qualify, so go to GetRefunds.com to potentially get a payroll tax refund of up to $26,000 per employee. Download the Innovation Refunds app or go to GetRefunds.com. GetRefunds.com. When they're investigating, we can't stop watching. This month on BritBox, sit back, relax, and enjoy watching The Detectives. Discover Britain's most bingeable mysteries, including the brand new season of Grace, the hit series based on the books by best-selling author Peter James. Unwind with The Detectives you could watch all night long. Stream them all now exclusively on BritBox. Endlessly intriguing. Start your free trial at BritBox.com. A new title for a rock music legend. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. East Hampton City Councilor Owen Zarrett, in a joint effort with leading local Jewish organizations and the Anti-Defamation League, proposed a resolution to condemn anti-Semitism in the city. The resolution was passed last night during the East Hampton City Council meeting to reject and condemn anti-Semitism in all forms. The new Veterans Home in Holyoke will be receiving millions of dollars from the federal government. 
State Senator John Vellis announced the huge federal grant to be used for the construction of a new facility. The Executive Office of Veterans Services was awarded $164 million in federal grants earlier this week for the reconstruction of the Holyoke Veterans Home, previously called the Holyoke Soldiers Home, courtesy of the Department of Veterans Affairs State Home Construction Grant Program. It's the first of two payments, totaling $263.5 million. It will be a fresh start for the Holyoke Veterans Home following the deadly COVID-19 outbreak in 2020. Joan Holliday, WHMP News. The town of Waitley is considering moving to one zip code for all residents and town addresses. Currently, the town uses three different zip codes and post offices that deliver mail and has resulted in some confusion for deliveries. The town would move to use 01093 for all residents, and those who do not currently use that zip code would have to change their addresses. There is an open survey through the town website for residents to voice their opinion on the potential change. Mostly cloudy with scattered sprinkles today, maybe a few patches of drizzle. Cool breeze from the north and a high of 52 to 56. Evening temperatures will be in the upper 40s to low 50s under variable clouds and overnight low of 36 to 42. Sun-cloud combination here tomorrow. Chance for a few sprinkles, otherwise dry and a high of 58 to 62. Upper 60s and sunshine on Saturday. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to the show. I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And with us, of course, it's Thursday. It's 10 o'clock. It's our weekly segment, uh, which we call Science and Sensibility. And Brian Adams, you love basketball. I love basketball. And you love protecting the planet. I love protecting the planet. You want it all today, don't you? I got it all. I don't want it all. I got it all. I am so excited. Um, We're going to combine basketball and electrical engineering in one marvelous interview. I am... I'm a fanboy here, and I'm so excited to have sitting in the studio with us, Morgan Morrison. Morgan led the Smith Pioneers to their best season ever uh, in basketball, uh, 30 and two overall, made it into the final four. Uh, not only did Morgan lead the team in scoring and rebounding, uh, but she is the Division Three Player of the Year throughout the country. Yay! (laughs) Applause all around. Morgan, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. It's great to be here. Uh, Now, that's incredibly exciting. Equally exciting is that you are an engineering major at a very prestigious college, Smith College, uh, with a focus on renewable energy. So we have two things to talk about, uh, basketball and your focus on electrical engineering and, and, and renewable energy. But we do have to start with, with, with basketball. Um, uh, again, greatest scoring season in Smith College uh, history, you know, player of the year, first team All-American, 17.3 points per game, 8.9 rebounds per game, 30 and two record. Congratulations. Here's my first question for you. When you're taking a shot, there is so much math and physics that goes into basketball. Um, you know, the, the, the arc of the shot, the different release angles, backspin, distance from the hoop, how high you're up, where, how, how tall your opponent is. I, I can't imagine those calculations are going through your head because you've done it five million times, right? But are they? I mean, how, how does that work? Um, well, you know, it goes through in a, a flash pretty quickly. So if I do the calculations, I do not see the answer <laughs> until the ball goes in the hoop. But um, 
Yeah, so usually growing up when we're playing, at least for layups, we're told to like hit the top of the square. And that kind of, that's like a 99% chance of the ball going in just because of the angle of that. Like if you hit it right off the gra- glass onto that top of the square, the angle is just perfect. It's like a 45 degree angle or something. No matter how you get the shot off or what, if you hit the top of the square, it's going in. But that's for layups. Layups, uh, If you're yeah. making a three-point <laughs> shot or you're, you know, um, shooting from the corner or something like that, um, how do you know what the arc is? How do you know how much backspin to put on? You put backspin on every shot. Is that right? Um, most of the time, yeah. Just the way you release the ball. Um, you flick your wrist right at the end so it can give it that little spin so it hits the rim just right if it um, doesn't go right into the hoop. Um, but, yeah, for shooting, it's it's like a whole thing. Um, you have to jump a certain height and you have to release the ball right at the like the apex of your jump or else the ball is either going to go over because you released it too soon um, or like it's not going to make the basket because you released it too late. So usually when that happens is if you release the ball when you're coming back down from your jump, it's not going to get to the rim all the way because it doesn't have enough power. And then if you release it while you're jumping up and to the apex of your jump, that's usually when it goes over because it has too much power. So it's kind of a balance. <laughs> kind of. It's definitely a balance. So much to just shooting shooting the, 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 the ball. And there's all of the math and geometry in figuring out plays, right? Um, who's setting a pick, where your opponents are, where you're moving. Uh, are the, how does that work? How, how, do you, how do you set plays like that? Um, I leave that up to my coaches. <laughs> so then they just end up telling me. But uh, at least for screening, um, I tend to know like where my player wants to go. So if my player is more of a shooter, um, I'll set the screen more parallel with the basket, so about 180 degrees. And if my player likes to drive, then I'll set it more of a 45-degree angle. So that way the player hits me just right, and that gives um, my my Smith player enough room to get to the basket without um, any defense. And they clearly had enough room to get to the basket this year with a 30-and-2 uh, record. Let's talk a little bit about exercise science. You are not an exercise scientist, but you practice exercise science. I mean, you, you know, you're at the top of your game. Um, you're a superb athlete. How do you, I mean, there's a lot that goes into keeping yourself um, uh, up for that game. Can you tell a little bit about your routine, about nutrition, about your workouts, those sorts of things? Oh, yeah. Um, Especially this year, it's really important to take care of myself. I mean, like, I hate to say it, but I'm getting older. So, (laughs) but um, I mean, especially at the end of the season, because our season is so long. um, It's about a six or seven month season that wears on your body when you're doing about two, two and a half hour practices almost every day. Um, So I tried stretching at least twice a day, once before practice, once after practice, you know, full body stretch. I get a really good warm-up in before the game. Um, and then nutrition is just so important. Um, I always try to eat enough protein, especially after lifts. Like in our dining hall, everyone goes and makes um, milk with like chocolate milk in it, with like chocolate syrup in it as our little form of chocolate milk. <laughs> um, 
and just trying to like make sure I always have snacks on hand because when you're in season, you're just burning so much. An incredible and, amount of calories go down in a game. Right? Yeah, yeah. Especially playing like 40, even 30 minutes. Like it's so much. Um, you're just so hungry all the time. <laughs> um, and then another thing is important is like just the rest and recovery. Like, you know, I would work backwards in my day um, planning it out. So I would plan, oh, I need about eight hours, maybe even 10. Um, and I would work out like what time I need to stop working and um, kind of really just get ready for bed. Because uh, that's just the main, like rest is just, and sleep is so important for recovery. When you're in a big game and you've been in a lot of big games, mm-hmm. how do you sleep the night before? Is it is, is it so such a part of your sports athletic routine that you can just will yourself to sleep? Or do you lie there thinking, oh, my goodness, this is a big game tomorrow? Um, usually when it's really big games that I'm kind of nervous for um, or excited for even, uh, I take melatonin <laughs> just to ensure that I, I fall asleep. And I take it early enough so that even if I do have pregame jitters, um, I'm falling asleep around maybe like 10, 30, 11. We're talking with Morgan Morrison. Morgan is an outstanding athlete at Smith College, uh, the greatest scoring season ever in program history. The Smith Pioneers going on to a 30-2 and two record, being ranked number three in the country in terms of Division three college uh, basketball. Um, Morgan, you're looking at a fifth year, possibly. You're a senior this year, but given weird COVID stuff, um, college athletics are granting uh, student athletes such as yourself another year. Um, we want to have the scoop here at, at uh, WHMP. Are you going to stay another year? What's going into that decision making for you? Um, you know, that's been the question this entire year, especially after the season. That was one of the questions I got asked uh, after the Final Four. But um, is she ducking you, Brian? Uh, we're waiting. We're, I'm wait. I'm waiting for the for the answer. You know, it's just really up in the air right now. So um, I'm really trying to figure it out and find the best option for me for uh, my career and also uh, my life. So I'm just looking at all of the options right now. And, you know, it's it's a possibility, but still working it all out. Spoken so. like a true um, <laughs> athlete, not giving out the answer. I, right. I, just, I just wanted to ask you, Morgan, this is Buzz. Um, so the giant from Smith College's past, 130 years ago, Sarah Berenson introduced women's basketball at Smith College on the heels of, uh, uh, of the entry into basketball by Naismith. Um, and she has recently been honored the uh, Hall of Fame for women's basketball down in Knoxville, Tennessee. There's a 17-foot bronze that's just been place for Sarah Berenson. And and I want to know how you Smith players feel about this person, the direct line of your history, uh, having changed women's sports by introducing basketball to women at that time. Yeah, you know, um, we just think this entire season is so poetic. Like, it's perfectly timed uh, with her getting honored and us making such a historic run and um, really, like, showing out for the Smith name and showing that, you know, Smith basketball started here and here's why. Like, we we are one of the best teams in the country. Um, we were just so proud to, like, really represent Smith in that way and, you know, kind of 
help keep Smith in history, not just as, oh, the birthplace of women's basketball. It's also the place for women's basketball. Well, well I just have to, Brian, I just have to follow that question. And by the way, we're all so proud of you, what you've done. It's amazing. It truly is amazing. But I, I want to ask you, you have Coach Lynn Hersey mm-hmm. as your coach at Smith. Uh, UMass has just is a very successful season for the Minute Women as well. I think they, what did they end up, like 21-6 and six or something like that. They had a, yeah. a very successful season. And their male coach moved on to another university and was replaced with another male coach. Um, females make up 13% of the coaching, we read, uh, roles in this country. And I'm wondering how a woman, a great woman player like you, feels about males coaching women's teams. Do you have an opinion about that? Um, no, it's not the biggest opinion. I mean, like growing up, I only really had male coaches. And I mean, um, it doesn't really matter who you are. You can be a great coach, whether you're female or male. And um, as long as you treat the players right and you know how to win um, while treating them right is is just such like a big characteristic for a, like a great coach. And I guess really my question was an inartful one. What I see is more and more women are playing sports yeah. and playing sports well. Mm-hmm. And the level of competency is increasing with their participation, but they're not really breaking into the coaching ranks or the officiating ranks at the rate that some of us would like to see. And I guess that's really what I'm not asking you to change your answer, mm-hmm. but that's that's what I was really asking about. Is, is coaching in your future? Would you ever see yourself coaching, Morgan? Um, no, I don't think so. Maybe on the side, but I don't think professionally. Uh-huh. Um, well, let's, let's switch gears because otherwise we're going to run out of time here. You are a student athlete. We led with your athleticism and your wonderful um, run at Smith and maybe not over yet mm-hmm. uh, in basketball. You are an engineering major mm-hmm. with a focus on renewable energy. Can you talk a little bit about your engineering uh, focus and your interest in engineering and what, what that's all about? Um, you know, originally I wanted to be a doctor, but that was way too much school. <laughs> um, so then, of course, I chose engineering. Um, but, yeah, I've always been interested in, like, climate activism, Um, You know, it's been such a big thing growing up and it's just so important. And with the fast and rapid development of renewable energy like wind, solar um, and hydroelectric power, um, it's just becoming a bigger field. And it's it's something that can really make an impact in the fight against climate change. And I felt that engineering uh, can make the biggest and um, fastest impact into this fight against climate change. And I just wanted to be a part of that. And I wanted to be a part of something great. That's so exciting because what we need is really uh, bright, energetic engineers coming up with that focus on renewable energy. You're specifically interested in electrical engineering. Is that right? And what would that involve in terms of renewable energy? Yeah. So um, I felt that electrical engineering was the most versatile, especially in the field. It didn't um, confined me to just one type of renewable energy. And I wanted uh, to work more on the um, power side of electrical engineering in terms of grid integration, uh, because I felt it's very difficult for renewable energies to be distributed distributed within our um, grids. So uh, this is something I really wanted to be a part of and, and work with and hopefully um, help get all that, like everything integrated and distributed. So it, Renewable energy is um, 
more accessible to more people. And I want to get back to that, this whole issue that the future is electric. And certainly um, getting that electric power distributed is key to uh, tackling climate change. Um, we're talking with Morgan Morrison. Morgan is a electrical, I'm sorry, an engineering major at Smith College with a focus on renewable energy. When we come back, we'll talk more about renewable energy. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. The lights come up, the music plays, there you are. Center stage in a Broadway musical. You're at summer camp at the Bement School in Deerfield. There are theme weeks like Broadway, flag football, studio arts, STEM challenges, and science exploration. There's basketball week, wizarding week, dance camp, Bement summer camp. Themed weeks all summer. Or good old-fashioned day camp weeks with no theme at all, just swimming, games, and arts and crafts. Plus, outdoor adventure camps with our partner Adventure East, in case you like paddling canoes or climbing rocks. Summer camp at the Bement School in Deerfield. It's all on the Bement website. Bement is a close-knit community of students from around the valley and across the globe. We learn from each other in the classroom, cheer for each other on the field, and celebrate each other on the stage. And we don't stop in the summer. Sign up for summer camp at bement.org. Are you or someone you care about struggling with mental health or substance use? The Behavioral Health Helpline is here for you. Call 833-773-2445 and we'll work with you to find the help you need. Free, open 24-7 and available in over 200 languages. No insurance needed. 833-773-2445. A service of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts operated by the Massachusetts Behavioral Health Partnership. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back where, hey, the studio might be indoors, but we have a star shining in the studio. We do. We do. We're talking with Megan Morrison, who's an outstanding basketball player at Smith College and doing some outstanding academics as well. She is an engineering major with a focus on renewable energy. Um, You talked about climate change, or you alluded to climate change a little. How big a topic is that among your peers at Smith? Um, Are people constantly focusing on Smith's efforts, or the, uh, you know, are people optimistic? Is it it this looming threat? How do you, can you talk about that? Um, It's definitely a mixed bag. Um, 
I do have some classmates who are who are more involved than others. Um, it kind of really depends on what they want to do and if they even have the time to get involved. Um, a classmate of mine, she actually runs geothermal tours for our school and is like really, really involved. And for her, it's more of a looming threat um, for Smith to act fast along with the rest of the country. Um, and then I have other uh, friends who are just like, oh, you know, like this is a problem. Um, but like I, I don't have the time just due to personal life and academics and stuff. So. Smith has committed to a carbon-free campus by 2030 uh, and just broke ground, I believe, last year with some ambitious geothermal work. Can, are, are you satisfied with the institution's um, actions regarding climate change and trying to decarbonize the campus? You know, um, it's a first step. Uh, I don't know the extent to all of their projects or their entire future. I just know mostly about the geothermal. And, you know, that's a great start um, considering the campus, like, uses so much in energy just to heat and cool our buildings. Um, geothermal is really going to come in handy, especially for when it gets involved in, like, the quad because it would be re- more reliable um, heating and cooling and um for housing too, especially buildings. Can you talk a little bit for our listeners that don't know what geothermal is? Can you just give us a ba- the basics on what that would be for the campus? Yeah, um, hopefully I can break it down. But um, essentially, you just dig really, really far into the ground, very deeply, um, and you um, loop hosing through that's filled with a type of coolant um, that essentially, as it goes further into the ground. Um, the deeper you go into the ground, the hotter it gets. So this way, um, you can heat. You heat that coolant, and it comes up. It goes through a heat pump, which um, then circulates through your house to heat your house. But in the summer, the ground is actually cooler. So then this way, the coolant circulates through, gets cool, goes through a heat pump again, um, and circulates through your house to cool it. Uh, I hope that. <laughs> yeah. So but. using ground source heat pumps. I think a lot of people are familiar with uh, air source heat pumps now, the, the mini splits that we see on our, mm-hmm. on, on our houses. And really the trick is to try to get to electrify as much of our appliances and our heating and our cooling and our cars as quickly as possible. You talked about this whole distribution, getting p- renewable energy out there. Um, what does that mean? Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I'll see if I can. <laughs> um, but... Um Yeah, so essentially the grid, um, there's so much energy being produced, either like, for example, for wind energy at one time, that it's hard for the grid to kind of store all of this and distribute it amongst um, wherever um, is connected to the grid, like housings, um, nearby cities, uh, et cetera. And it can't use all of that energy at once, um, either because of the infrastructure or there's nowhere to store it. So this way, integrating it, either making the grid um, big enough to be able to handle this mass intake of energy or um, finding a way to store it so then the grid can use it for a later time. Seems like that's a huge issue is battery storage or some sort of of, of storage. And just a quick uh, aside here, Northfield Mount Hermon, um, I'm sorry, Northfield Northfield Mountain Pumping Station up in Northfield, is a huge uh, storage, energy storage facility where water is pumped up into the reservoir uh, and then released. Um, there's a lot of 
implications to that in terms of the Connecticut River. And there's just a few days left to comment on that. Folks wanting to, um, to get their opinions about pump storage and the need for the utilities to be river conscious should visit the Connecticut River Conservancy website. Uh, take a look at that and get their input in in just the next few days. To the Federal uh, Energy Regulatory to, Commission. Right. And I think uh, um, the Connecticut River Conservancy will guide you in that process of how to do that. Well, I, I see one place where energy is stored is in Morgan Morrison. She's mm -hmm. a, a bundle of it, isn't she? <laughs> That's right. If you could just sort of uh, get the basketball to produce... Somehow the rotating the basketball would produce, store energy. No, that's not going to work, <laughs> is it? Um, you're going to be on to graduate school. Is that correct at some point? Perhaps uh, a fifth year here and then graduate school. And what will that graduate school specifically be? Do you know what you're going to be studying? Um, electrical engineering, um, probably in like power system labs and uh, just trying to expand more into the career that I want um, I want to be in. So, Are you optimistic about the role of uh, engineers such as yourself to change the world? Um, you know, I have to be. Everyone has their role. And, you know, I think if everyone's energized to um, try and work to get to the same goal, then a lot of change can be happen can be made. So, Brian, we throw around the term student-athlete. We got one here. Yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> With the emphasis on student first, but athletics is so important as well. And you've really helped put Smith College on the map. Uh, for basketball, but also on the map for engineering as well. So that's really exciting. We've been talking with Morgan Morrison. Uh, Morgan is a student athlete, student at Smith College in the engineering department with a focus on renewable energy and also an athlete in bringing uh, Smith pioneers to uh, their best season ever. And she's the most decorated athlete in Smith basketball history. Morgan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was great. We'll be right back with Take 5. We're going to be talking with a great saxophonist and, of course, Ruth Griggs right after these messages. Stay with us. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. East Hampton City Councilor Owen Zaret, in a joint effort with leading local Jewish organizations and the Anti-Defamation League, proposed a resolution to condemn anti-Semitism in the city. The resolution was passed last night during the East Hampton City Council meeting to reject and condemn anti-Semitism in all forms. The new Veterans Home in Holyoke will be receiving millions of dollars from the federal government. State Senator John Vellis announced the huge federal grant to be used for the construction of a new facility. The Executive Office of Veterans Services was awarded $164 million in federal grants earlier this week for the reconstruction of the Holyoke Veterans Home, previously called the Holyoke Soldiers Home, courtesy of the Department of Veterans Affairs State Home Construction Grant Program. It's the first of two payments totaling $263.5 million. It will be a fresh start for the Holyoke Veterans Home following the deadly COVID-19 outbreak in 2020. Joan Holliday, WHMP News. The town of Waitley is considering moving to one zip code for all residents and town addresses. Currently, the town uses three different zip codes and post offices that deliver mail and has resulted in some confusion for deliveries. The town would move to use 01093 for all residents 
and those who do not currently use that zip code would have to change their addresses. There is an open survey through the town website for residents to voice their opinion on the potential change. Mostly cloudy with scattered sprinkles today, maybe a few patches of drizzle. Cool breeze from the north and a high of 52 to 56. Evening temperatures will be in the upper 40s to low 50s under variable clouds, an overnight low of 36 to 42. Sun-cloud combination here tomorrow. Chance for a few sprinkles, otherwise dry and a high of 58 to 62. Upper 60s and sunshine on Saturday. 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 8.15, 12.15, and 4.15. When you hear the keyword, just go to WHMP.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on WHMP.com. You spend seven or eight hours a night together, and you're supposed to decide if you're right for each other in a matter of minutes? This has never made sense to me. So, when you're in my store, trying to decide which mattress is right for you, at some point, I think you and I just need to stop talking. I need to leave you alone, give you plenty of time to lay down, and maybe even forget you're in a furniture store. Hi, it's Robin. Robin from Talon. Think about it. Seven or eight hours, night after night, and what do you really know about mattresses? I don't mean to make it daunting or complicated. I just think you need two things, information and time. If I give you as much information as you want and as much time as you need, I think you'll settle on a mattress you'll be happy with. At least that's the way it seems to go for most people. Talon Furniture, the small, unhurried furniture and mattress store just down the hill from Amherst College. Go out to eat, save 30%. Get a guitar or take lessons, save 30%. Pork chops, rug cleaning, hypnotherapy, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. And we are back. It is that uh, time of the week, which we look forward to. It is Take 5 with Ruth Griggs, and we have greatness in the house. We do. We have Charles Langford greatness in the house, who is in the process of getting his reed ready on his tenor saxophone. Nothing more exciting than that. Yeah, so he's... uh, He's, he's come up to spend a little time with us today on Take 5, and we're going to talk a little bit about his music, his style, his inspiration, his education, and some upcoming things that he's got ready for us. So, I think he's a, he's a local. He went to school here. Yeah, went to UMass Amherst. Which is so cool, but he was born in Texarkana. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I can, can we start there? Because you said yeah. that you know you were born there, that you were surrounded by music as a young person, and I just, I, you know, I always like to know where the inspiration comes from. And I know that a lot of musicians grow up in grow grow up in households with music. So, mm-hmm. tell us about yours. So, uh, growing up, um, 
my mother is a classically trained vocalist, and uh, she played for, uh, sang for Martin Luther King when she was in college at Bishop College in uh, somewhere in Texas. <laughs> I can't recall the the town, the city. Um, but um, she uh, she always sang around the house, you know, operatic style, you know, and. Uh, I loved it, you know, her rendition of Amazing Grace and all kinds of, so I emulated her a lot in trying to to um, be expressive in my playing. And um, my first, uh, my, one of my first uh, transcriptions was uh, Bridge Over Troubled Waters by Dave, uh, Paul Desmond, excuse me. He worked with Dave Brubeck. And um, it was on actually one of Paul Desmond's records, and um, my bro- my father loved that song. So you know that was that was my first. He loved. I, I originally wanted to play oboe. My father's like, nope, saxophone. <laughs> so you wanted to play oboe. Yeah, that's like when when I was in fourth grade, they brought around the instruments, and you know, and I was like, ooh, I like that one. You know, the sound. It is know, a gorgeous it's a, sound. What an amazing sound. Yeah. And um, but um. Saxophone. You do play clarinet, right? I do play clarinet, and I play flute, and uh, and all the saxes, and uh, well, not all of them, but I play four of them, and uh, and uh, <laughs> that's, that's enough. That's <laughs> yeah, enough. Yeah. You can stop yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so when you say you had you played a transcription of um, "Bridge Over Troubled Waters" that Paul Desmond, who's the famous uh, alto player, yeah, who wrote um, "Take Five, who yeah. wrote "Take Five, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. Um, can for our listening audience because we don't all have jazz enthusiasts like we have in the, mm-hmm. the house today in the studio today. What does that mean when you say you you played a transcription? Oh, of- I didn't play a transcription. I well, transcribed it with my mother. So we were listening to the song, and like when he, he'd play like one some, some notes in the melody, and I'd try to figure out what they were. She'd sing the note, and I'd copy, and then I'd write it down. Cool. What yeah. a process. Yeah. Oh, so my. it, and you know, developing your ear to be able to to play to call it back on your instrument takes quite a bit of time. You know, you have I, to have I'm not fortunate. Ears. Yeah, I'm not fortunate to have perfect pitch. You know, and um, but. But you I just work. need really, really good ears. Yeah, you just um, have to listen really closely. And and listening really closely is such an important part of being a good jazz musician. Yeah, period it's, and it's, stop. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's one of the yeah. most important things is to listen. Yeah. yeah. So is did UMass bring you to uh, to this part of the world? Uh, no, from Texas? I might, so um, we moved from Texas when I was probably like four, four or five. My dad was from Cambridge. And I um, lived in West Medford. Uh, that's where he grew up. And um, so when we moved from Texas, we moved to Medford, and then we moved to Springfield afterwards. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've been a, 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 a Western Mass guy yeah, for yeah. a long time. Oh, yeah. We moved to, I think, Springfield in like the um, mid-70s, early 70s. You know, I have, I have just been in the presence of so many musicians in the area lately, including Avery Sharp yesterday, all trained at UMass, mm-hmm. all went through that UMass music program yeah, and jazz in particular. And it, we are so blessed and gifted to have folks that have gone to UMass Amherst and have stuck around yeah, it and isn't continue just that, to give us their gifts. Yeah, it isn't just that it's a fine program. It's world class. And the people that 
the faculty and the people that that come out of that program are they are world class. Uh, it's it's such a gift, Ruth. Yeah, when I was there, Max Roach was there, uh, Dr. Billy Taylor, um, well, Yusef Latif, who's my teacher, who played oboe. <laughs> He's one of the best. Uh, Archie well, Shep? Yeah, Archie what? Shep saxophone. Yeah, he was my teacher as well. Archie Shep was your teacher? Yeah. Well, Amazing. Yeah. yeah. He gave me, like, I played at the Iron Horse with Archie. And he'd, say, he'd say, come on down, Charles. And I'd, we'd, and I'd go on stage with him. And I remember, well, I got to tell this story because it was amazing. I had this old um, Amidi, an Italian saxophone. That, like my, it was one of my first tenor saxes. And it's, uh, it was, I, I, I thought it was okay, but it was, it was just a, a average you know, saxophone. It wasn't like a professional saxophone. And um and Archie's like oh let me try that and so I he tried like we were in this little practice room and I was like he played it and I was like huh that's the way it's supposed to sound <laughs> and he I couldn't I was just like hmm so it's really not the saxophone so much <laughs> <Can't> blame <laughs> it on the horn <laughs> it's not the saxophone because the way he played that thing I was like Lord of have mercy. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So, so um, did was Max Roach one of your teachers? He, uh, the drummer, famous yeah. drummer. Oh yeah, the, yeah. He yeah, he worked with Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, all the greats, all of them. Uh, Clifford Brown. They had a group together. Sonny Rollins was in the band right. as well. That's uh, fantastic. Yeah. But Max was he was there and uh, gave me his home number. He was just the sweetest sweetest man. He's such a you know to be. To have like a, a person of that stature, you know, who was, you know, nice to me, you know, and just encouraging and, you know. He's going to, he's, uh, Max Roach is going to be, quote unquote, playing large at the Northampton Jazz Festival this year. Uh, starting with a, I just have to throw this plug in, starting with a brand new film that Sam Pollard has directed that was just released um, this year and and premiered at the South by Southwest Festival in March. And it's coming to Northampton. The Jazz Fest is going to be screening it in in June 15. Oh, wow, that's At Northampton Center for for the Arts. It's called Max Roach, the Drum Also Waltzes. Wow. And I'm just, I'm so excited. He's really... Um, just talking to Avery Sharp yesterday, he was he was going on and on about how how wonderful a person Max Roach yeah, was. He so was, he was, we're really uh, glad to be honoring his, him yeah, in his centennial amazing, yeah. year. Yeah. Um, well, if I could ask you, Chuck Langford, when you went to, cause we're celebrating, we always celebrate this gift that we have at UMass music department generally mm-hmm. and jazz. Uh, but what was the biggest surprise? You went there expecting whatever you expected. What, if anything, was the biggest surprise? Well, um, during my first uh, semester, um, I was told that I had to be, um, I had to play classical music. And, um, and I was like, what? I have to play classical music? I was so upset. I was like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a jazz musician. No, no, no. You know, and then um, I told one of my mentors, um, Charles Majid Greenlee, who, um, God rest his soul, he was um, very instrumental in like Avery and all musicians um, from Springfield area. He's a uh, Detroit-born trombonist who worked with John Coltrane and everybody. But he, um, I told him that I had to do this, and he's like, Charlie Parker played classical music. 
da 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 and I'm like John Coltrane, and da-da. and he rattled off, and I'm Miles like, Davis went to Juilliard. Yeah, yes, and uh, <laughs> uh, went in Marsalis, you know, and so I was like, okay, all right, so, and I fell in love with it, and I. And I still use those tools today, every day. Every well, day. that's a beautiful story. That yeah. that's a found that classical is the foundation for jazz. I know. Yeah, yeah you're right. A lot it of is, players but feel why that did way. You fall in love with it. The Chuck. music is just. It's just. It's music. Good music. Great music. You know, that's that's what it is. It's, well, uh, I, I'm just dying to hear some great music right now. <laughs> so, Charles. What record are we going to play now? <laughs> no record in this studio, not okay, today. Right. So what are you going to play for us, Charles, uh, for just maybe a couple minutes before we have to go on the break? Okay. Uh, I'll play just a little bit of my new single, like a tune from, um, it's it's entitled For Elise, and it's, um, I'll just play a little bit of it, uh, and it's written for my wife. How do you want me to be right here like That's this? That's good. Okay. You're good where you are. <laughs> So melodic. 
That is what a tenor saxophone is supposed to sound like. <laughs> that, We're going to be right was, back to learn more about that particular style Well, I just wanted to say, what you just were listening to was, uh, it's a single release from February of this year called For Elise, E-L-L-Y-S-E. You could go to Charles Langford or Chuck Langford's website, just put in Chuck Langford, and you'll get there, and you could see how to get a copy of that incredible sound. We're going to be right back with... Ruth Griggs and her amazing guest, mm. Chuck Langford, right after this. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits. Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care. It's polka carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP. The last place any of us wants to end up is the auto body shop. But if you ever do, the people to turn to are the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. At Fort Hill, you can leave your concerns at the door. They'll work with your insurance company and return your vehicle back to you in perfect condition. Guaranteed. Look, you love your car. Fort Hill Collision Services will love it too. So for the European touch for your foreign or domestic vehicle, trust the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 in Amherst. It was one of those big historic houses in Conway, built in the 1800s, a real beauty, though a bit of a challenge to insure. Steve bought it for about $700,000. The insurance company figured the replacement cost to be about $5 million, a bit of a gap there. But there's a specialty insurance company we work with from time to time at Whalen Insurance, and soon enough, we were able to get the house insured. When a home buyer has a tough situation with insurance, like Steve did with the house in Conway, their real estate lawyer usually sends them to us, Whalen Insurance. We'd like to insure your house, too, even if it isn't as challenging. We'll get you every discount available, and more importantly, if you ever need help or have a claim, you won't be calling a 1-800 number and entering your policy on the dial pad because at Whalen Insurance, we answer the phone. Whalen Insurance, local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Mafre Insurance. Call for a quote, 586-1000. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with Ruth Griggs and her extraordinarily talented guest, Chuck Langford. 
It's such a pleasure to have you in the studio. I've heard about you for so long, and I saw you at the Springfield Jazz and Roots Festival a, a couple, three years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, the reason why Charles is here is because last week he played in a, an ensemble that Paul Arslanian put together for the Jazz Artists in the Schools program at Northampton High School. And that's a program that we have through the Elliott Ross uh, funds. And Charles was in that quintet that played for, uh, for 150 Northampton High School students, including an entire art class who was sketching uh, for their poster art project, which inspiring, they're doing for the jazz festival. Inspiring so, the next generation of oh, artists. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was really wonderful to, to have you there and to just, you know, really play in, in such a wonderful, as you say, expressive. I mean, Charles was walking all around and he was just, you know, there was a lot of movement in what you do. And actually, I want to segue into the style of jazz that you tend to specialize mm. in which I heard in, in, in your song for Elise. So talk about the style of jazz that, that you've really kind of captured. Um, so I, <clears throat> I grew up with listening to Paul Desmond and, uh, and Charlie Parker and John Coltrane. Grover Washington was the one who really um, caught my ear, you know, and I really, I really um, gravitated towards him. And, um, and, and what so, kind of style does Grover Washington, for those who don't know it's, him? I mean, it's, it's more R&B focused and it's, uh, people call it smooth jazz or like contemporary jazz, but it's, um, it's just, um, and I guess, I don't know, it's, it's, that's what, I mean, I, that's, I guess, the kind of music that it is. And, and how does it speak to you, Charles? Uh, I just, I don't know, I feel at home with it. I just, I do, I feel at home, and I feel at home playing jazz. Jazz, uh, straight-ahead jazz is, is my love, you know, and, um, but I like having, I like having the, the backbeat sometimes, and, you know, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, well, that was. I, when I think of Grover Washington, I think of, like, funk. Yeah, yeah. Like, soulful stuff yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. yeah yeah so so because we've heard a little bit of you i think it's important for our audience to know where they can hear more of you so what you got coming up uh so i'm playing in providence next saturday um may 13th with this uh it's like a pop guy from i think columbia and uh nieco and i'm playing with um some great musicians there we have rehearsal tonight and uh so I'm, I just got the call, so I'm like, hmm, I, you know, it's something totally out of my wheelhouse that I have, but I thought it would be interesting, you know, and uh, so I'm looking forward to that. I have, um, on June 10th, I'll be playing, uh, let me see, what am I doing? I'm playing at Dewey's Lounge in Springfield, Massachusetts. If anybody hasn't been to Dewey's. Um, it's right there on Worthington Street, right across from the park where they have the Springfield Jazz and Roots Festival. And it is such a cool club. It, it's just got a great vibe. Um, the young guy who opened it, yeah, God Kenny bless. Lumpkin. Yeah. Kenny Lumpkin. It's a and unique feeling. There. It's a really, but it's a beautiful feeling, nice food. They do have a stage. It's a kind of a weird stage. It's way up on the second floor in the back, and it's about the size of a small closet. But, you know, Charles is going to be able to get up there. So really, seriously, that's a Saturday night, June 10th. Get yourself to Dewey's. 
It's a great place to have a drink and some food and listen to Charles Langford playing from on high from the second <laughs> floor. What else have you got coming up um, in June? And on, on Juneteenth, uh, I think that I think it's the Monday. Monday. Yeah. And uh, June nineteenth. Yeah, I'm playing with Avery Sharp at the uh, Symphony Hall at the Symphony Orchestra and uh, and a jazz quartet and. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. yeah um, again, Avery, Avery Sharp is playing with his trio and um, with his brother's um, family chorus yeah. for the Jazz Festival on September 30 at Edwards Church. Oh, nice. nice. So we were yeah. just there going over um, the sound and whatnot with Avery, and he talked about composing, that they've, they've commissioned him to compose for that Juneteenth concert, which yeah. is... Really? So who else is going to be in the band, Charles? Um, I, th I think it's Yaron Israel is playing drums, um, mm -hmm. master drummer. Mm -hmm. And um, who's playing piano? That's okay. I just played with them last week. I can't. That's I, okay. My brain is gone. But that's going to be that's <laughs> going to be an amazing um, honoring and celebration of Juneteenth. An acknowledgement uh, of the importance of right. June, uh, Juneteenth yeah. uh, expressed. In music. Mm -hmm. Symphony Hall in Springfield. I don't have the exact time, but I'm yeah, sure it's, it's in the evening. Yeah. So now bef before we close up, which is in another couple minutes, we'd love to hear one more little tidbit from you. Okay. If you would, if you would so grace the airwaves so with I'll your play, tenor. Um, uh, a Duke Ellington song. Um, I think what's going to happen is we're going to go out with this um, because... We want to hear Chuck. So thanks again, uh, Charles Langford, charleslangford.com to uh, hear. Charles Langford Music. CharlesLangfordMusic.com to hear more of his wonderful sound. <laughs> on Talk to Talk. Thank you so much, Chuck Langford. Thank you, Ruth Griggs. Remember, let's all try to walk the walk. Thank you. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5, 1400, and 1240. Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP.
The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than a thousand members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at ncmc.net. WHMP Northampton and W.